What happened in Wichita Falls on June 2nd, 2008 has been described as biblical. Though Wichita Indians know the Bible had nothing to do with it. Careful readers of the story that follows, however, will find clues to a mysterious book that did contribute to the demise of a middle American city and a number of characters contained herein. Part 1 April 10th, 1979 Zone Forecast Product National Weather Service, Norman, Oklahoma TXZ086-111000 Wichita Including the cities of Wichita Falls 1.55 p.m. Central Standard Time Tuesday, April 10, 1979 Tornado watch in effect from 2.30 p.m. until 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. This afternoon, mostly cloudy with scattered thunderstorms. Some storms may be severe with damaging winds, large hail, and tornadoes possible. High in the lower 80s. Winds southwest 10 to 20 miles per hour and gusty. Chance of rain 70%. Tonight, cloudy and turning cooler. Low around 45. Winds northwest 10 to 20 miles per hour. Chance of rain 40%. Wednesday, partly cloudy. High in the mid 60s. Northwest winds 10 to 15 miles per hour. Thursday, mostly sunny and warmer. High in the mid 70s. Light winds and variable. Chapter 1 the day was electric, charged with possibility. Bobby Steele could feel it in the humid air and freshening wind, the power of the world. Ahead of him, the sky was a gathering darkness. He was ten years old and had the strange feeling something important was about to happen, something that would alter the story of his life forever. At the moment, Bobby was headed south toward Jonathan Crane's house, and by the time he crossed Midwestern Parkway, it was barely five o'clock. His feathered hair bounced against his head, blonde and thick and sculpted by the wind. His smile was magnetic. It was the second day of spring break, and his mom didn't expect him before dark. She would have let him stay out longer if it weren't for his dad, Kenny, who was unreasonable when it came to Bobby spending time with Jonathan. But his dad framed houses during the day and played cards in the evening, and he never walked into the house before eight. That was three hours from now. Three hours was forever. The streets in this part of town were wider than those in his own neighborhood, the houses bigger and solid and made of brick. Anybody could take one look at Bobby's banged-up garage sale huffy and figure out he didn't live around here. Anyone could see he was far away from home. But he rode how he pleased anyway. Relaxed, no hands. Because even as a kid, he knew the best way to get on in a place was to act like you belonged there. It was a long ride, and by now he was inhaling and exhaling great breaths of air. But if it had been a contest, he could have gone on for a lot longer. He was a strong boy, after all a competitive boy. He was a winner. He had to be, because his dad was pretty fond of saying how he hadn't raised a loser. 
Such was life for young sons born to legendary football stars. In 1966, Kenny had quarterbacked the only Cubs to a 1A Texas State football championship, where he rushed for five touchdowns in a lopsided victory over what Kenny liked to describe as a team full of Mexicans. On the game's final play, however, with victory well in hand, his dad elected not to take a knee near the opponent's end zone and had instead run a naked bootleg. The way his dad liked to tell the story, Kenny Steele had been a poor kid from a small town hoping to impress a bunch of big-time college coaches, and everything had been ruined by some long-forgotten Mexican. But in reality, the old man had been showboating, and Bobby supposed the angry linebacker who denied that sixth touchdown brought a little karma to the goal line.